So there's something beautiful going on in this moment right now. And I think I'm reminded of it every time I get to see you. See, for the first 15 minutes before we get started and worship, uh, I, get, I get to watch you all walk in, and I, I get to talk to some of you. And what I often see are just a variety of different people, a variety of coming from a variety of different places with a variety of different stories. And, you know, some of these stories are filled with joy, and some of these stories are hard right now. And in this moment, what we're seeing is that a variety of different people are coming together to claim together that they share the same hope and the same person who came for them. And this morning, we're going to lay claim and remind each other of the defiant hope that we have that no matter where we've come from and no matter what we've endured and somehow, no matter what we've done, That Jesus holds us with his promises now and forever. And so this morning we're going to talk about Jesus' advent promise that he came to speak peace to troubled hearts. Let's look together. I'm going to read John chapter 1 verses 14 through 18. And then I'm going to jump over to chapter 14 and read verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at his Father's side. He has made him known. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. 
Uh, Oh, Father, uh, as we, your people, gather ourselves under your word, coming from all these different places, with all of our different concerns, I pray that you would meet each one of us now. Nourish us with your truth. Help us to believe and to trust, and hold us as we wait for you. And I pray, just like Carolyn prayed earlier, that I would be free to speak, to love, that you would give me words of love and encouragement and help for your people. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been paying attention to the quotes section at the beginning of the worship booklet during Advent, you've probably noticed that I've been giving you some Fleming Rutledge lately. And if you're not familiar with her, she's an Episcopalian priest. I don't think she's priesting much these days. She's uh, uh, by that I mean I don't think she has a parish, but what she's doing is she's traveling a lot and speaking and teaching, and she really is a wonderful speaker, teacher, writer. Some people have called her the Advent Queen, and that's because she wrote a book on Advent, and I break it out every time of year this, uh, this year. And, uh, and if you read it, what you'll find is an insistence that Advent is a time that prepares us to celebrate Christmas. And that Christians must indulge in a time when we take what she calls serious inventory of the darkness in our world, in our lives, and in our hearts, so that when we celebrate Jesus' coming to the world, which was what we're going to do next week at Christmas, we are acutely aware, or we fostered an acute awareness, of all the reasons that we stand, every single one of us, in need of him. And that can be hard for us. It can feel like we're kind of standing up in the middle of a party, like the world started a party a month ago, and it's us standing up saying, hang on, I'm I'm not quite ready yet. But it's important that we do, because Christmas is only valuable to us if we can summon the courage to practice the honesty required to acknowledge all the ways that we too have troubled hearts, and we are in need of the peace that only Jesus gives. And we are in need of this peace. Uh, Earlier this week, I I was on a text thread with a group of pastors from all over the country. And, uh, and, you know, there there are the young guys that don't have a lot of experience. And then there are the old ones that do have a lot of experience. And we're all just trying to, like, get wisdom from the older people that, that have been doing this for a while. And we were all sharing with each other just kind of different challenges that we're facing personally, pastorally. And one of the older pastors got in and he said this. He said, never in my ministry life have I ever had more friends in hard places. And you know, I just don't think he's alone. I think there are a lot of hard places right now. In our own lives and the lives around us. And these hard places can either make us hard where they can summon within us a longing for something more. Look back again at verse 1 of chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. When Jesus spoke these words, he was giving them to friends who were confused. He was giving them to friends who were disappointed and discouraged. He was giving them to people whose hearts were troubled, and I just can't think of a better text to look at 
during the Advent season because these words are not just for them, but they were for all who follow Jesus. This Advent is a time when we look at Jesus and ask him to speak peace to our troubled hearts, and that's what he's doing here in this passage. How does he do it? Well, the first thing he does is he promises peace. And then he lays the foundations of peace. And then finally, he reassures us of peace. Promises, foundations, reassurances. That's the way we'll work through this. First, he promises peace. Uh, It's important that we see that when Jesus gives the promises that we see in this passage, he gives them to friends who have a fear of the future. These were men who had stuck by Jesus through difficult times. They had traveled together. They had eaten together. They had had intimate conversations with each other. The relationship between Jesus and the disciples had an intimacy that you only see in the best of friendships. And in chapter 13, the chapter right before this one, Jesus said to them, little children, yet a little while I am with you. And there will be a time when you will seek me, but you cannot go, you cannot, uh, but where I am going, you cannot come. Now you can imagine what words like that would have done to them. Because when they chose to follow Jesus, they entrusted their whole futures to him. Uh, wherever he's going, that's where I'm going to, is what they thought. And they couldn't have imagined a future without Jesus. And they thought that he was just as committed to them as they were to him, So you can see their minds churning with questions like, um, like did any of this matter to you? Where, where, where are you going that I can't come with you? What's the future of my life going to look like now? How could I trust you? These had to be abandonment questions that they were asking. And so this passage in chapter 14 is... Just a sweet insight into the tender sympathies of Jesus as he began speaking to their fears before they even had a chance to articulate them. In my Father's house are many rooms. That's where I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and take you to myself that you may be where I am also. This is important because where do our hearts go when they're troubled? What are the questions that we ask? Does God care? Is God near? Does my life matter to God? You know, the question that I often hear is, where is God right now? And listen, I think that's the right question. I think that's a good question. And it's the question that Jesus is answering here because he's telling us that he is at work right now preparing an eternal place where we will never be far away from him. The question for you, I think, is does the awareness of your trajectory in Christ help you in the here and now? Like, does knowing where you're going have this visceral and real impact on where you are? Because if it doesn't, then there's no comfort here in this passage. But if it does, then I would submit to you that these are some of the most comforting passages 
in all of Scripture. There's a pastor, a Scottish pastor. You, know, you all know I'm a fan of Scottish pastors, and I think much of it has to do with their accent. But there's a Scottish pastor, John Watson, and he was known for his, uh, his preaching, of course. Um, <clears throat> like, he could say a bunch of nonsense, and I would probably still listen to him. <laughs> but he was known for his preaching, but he was also known for his very sensitive and compassion, compassionate heart given to people in his congregation who were going through hard times. And he had this practice when, when, if you were in his congregation and you were nearing death, that he would go to your bedside and he would kneel down next to you, his head near to yours, and he would read scripture and he would pray for you. And then after he was done with that, he would lean in very close, his, his speak and whisper directly into your ear. And this is what he would say. He would say, in my father's house are many rooms. What feels like your darkest moment, you are actually nearer to glory than you know. In the most difficult times, that was the verse that he would give them. And you know, it's just not lost on me that this promise is only a comfort to us if Jesus is actually all that he says he is. And so this is why we see Jesus lay the foundations of our peace. Look at verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, a lot can be said here. But what clearly comes through is that the very core of Jesus' identity is a foundation of truth. And the passage from John 1 that we read is laced all throughout with this claim. Verse 14, he is the one who's full of grace and truth. Verse 17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God is the God of truth. And when Jesus came into the world, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he's saying that he was revealing truth to us. The truth about who God is. The truth of his fundamental disposition toward you. That he has a heart of grace and love for his people. Also the hard truth about who we are. And our need for grace, when we look at Jesus, what the Bible's telling us is that we are looking at personified truth. And this is important to us because for as silly as this might sound, truth can be hard to make sense of sometimes, can it? Like many of the cultural battles that are around us, we might find ourselves in, have at their heart a debate about what's true and what's not true. It's being argued everywhere. And at the same time, we are building our lives on what we think is true. Our way is built on how we think about truth and how we think about life. This is not abstract theory. These are actually like foundational concepts for how we live our life. Let me give you a, a couple of examples. Um, not long ago, I rewatched the movie Moneyball. Uh, I think many of you have probably seen it. Um, it, uh, I hear the book was better. Uh, I get it. I never read the book. I watched the movie. It was written by Aaron Sorkin. So right away I was going to be in, but what it did was it would look at, look at the disparity that you see in major league baseball. Major league baseball doesn't have a salary cap. And so what there is, is a large disparity between, uh, large, uh, media market teams like the New York Yankees or the Boston Red Sox. 
and small market teams like the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's is the, is the example in, in this story. And I looked it up actually earlier this week and uh, it's like the smallest market team has 10% of the payroll of the largest market team. It's like 200 and some million dollars versus teams. Like that's an impossible competition, right? And so what happened was the general manager somewhere along the way, came across the idea that you can win with players that are less expensive if you're looking at a certain statistical truth that no one else is looking at. You see where I'm going here? They, they built a strategy or a way based on a truth that no one else was looking at, and they staked their lives on it. That's one example. Let me give you another one. Recently, David Letterman went to Ukraine. Uh, to interview President Zelensky. And uh, if you ever want to watch a master interviewer at work, you should look at David Letterman. He's just one of the very best. Like, no, nobody's better at making somebody feel at ease and kind of his self-effacing sense of humor, but also his, like, clear honesty all along the way. It's just, it's just a master class in what it looks like to draw somebody out, asking all the right questions at all the right times. But he went to Kiev to meet with uh, President Zelensky, and uh, they, they sat, like they had a live studio audience like they do, but it was 300 feet underground in a subway station. I mean, it was really, really fascinating. And uh, the two of them were talking, and occasionally you'd see like a train, or you'd hear it, a train would go by, and they would like wave at the people on the train. And then at one point during the interview, they heard air raid sirens going off. And there was this like grim and sober sadness kind of passed over the crowd. And after it was done, Letterman asked, he looked at the president and he asked him, what was that? What, what do those sirens indicate to you? And Zelensky responded, he said, unfortunately, it means that war has become a habit. And to me, sirens are a reminder that the war is not over. And then later he said this. He said, it is a reminder that somewhere someone is giving up their life for yours. Truth, shaping a life, determining a way, right? And if if you're a Christian this morning, then the way of your life is shaped by the truth that God came to you in Jesus that he is God's true self-disclosure. He showed his love for you in this, that he gave up his life for yours. And if you belong to Christ in faith, I want you to know that is your foundational truth that is declared over you, won for you, given for you, and can never be taken away. No one can steal that. No one can violate it. No one can frustrate the plans the Lord has for you. It is the unassailable truth about your life. And when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, believe in God and believe also in me, that's the truth that he's calling you to remember. He is speaking peace to troubled hearts by speaking truth about who you are in Jesus Christ. And the question for us is, how does this affect your way in the world? Like, how does that affect the things that you're afraid of? 
or the things that you're anxious about? How does it affect even how you think about your greatest failures or your greatest victories? How does that affect the way you think about your friendships, the people that you're drawn toward, and the people that you try to avoid? How does this truth about who you are in Jesus affect your way in the world and how you, how you think about your life? If Jesus is the way, then there is no other way. There's a friend of mine, um, I've got to name his name because he's a good friend, John Penny Legion. He's a pastor in Virginia, and he was writing on this text, and he quoted a book by David Foster Wallace. And if you're not familiar with David Foster Wallace, I want you to know I'm not either, okay? Um, but, but, he, uh, but he's known as a, as, a, as a brilliant writer. He's a pretty prolific, brilliant writer uh, who also led a very hard life that was filled with addiction and, and depression. I don't believe that he ever came to faith um, I don't know that, but I, I, I never heard that. But in one of his books, he made the point uh, that the path of money and possessions and personal beauty and sex and power, all these things that we chase and we give our lives to, uh, will one day look to consume us. They, are the, they, they each offer a path, but not one that leads to life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's here we're tempted to say, yeah, but what about me? I'm filled with conflicting desires. There are times where I find these truths really hard to trust. And do I really fit me, broken me, do I really fit into these plans that Jesus has for his disciples? And it's here I think we need to look at what I think are real reassurances that we see in this passage. I saw a video earlier this week uh, of a toddler. Now, toddler videos can either be horrific or adorable. There's no in-between, right? And uh, this one was adorable. And uh, it was of a baby who was seeing through glasses for the first time in her life. Uh, not a baby, I guess a toddler. Those are two different things. But I think it was a toddler. Um, but and I don't know what her, her, uh, her eyesight was before they put the glasses on her. But when they put these glasses on this little girl, it was like she was seeing the world for the first time. And they, they showed that her looking at her mother, and then they showed her looking at her father, smiles, uh, Uh, irrepressible joy passing over her face. I mean, it was unbelievable. And there are ways that we can think that that's what it's like when we first come to meet Jesus. Like we're seeing something beautiful for the first time and and that's the way it's always going to be. And so we can feel guilty when we're discouraged. We can feel guilty when there are things that we don't understand or we're filled with doubt. It's like, I put the glasses on Uh, I can see now, why is life still hard? Am I doing this right? Look at the disciples in this passage. Uh, We know that the first they're discouraged because they don't understand what Jesus is up to. Who who can identify with that? Uh, And then when Jesus assures them with comfort about their future, we see Thomas saying, okay, but how can we know this? And then when Jesus assures them with further comfort, comfort, saying, you know the Father because you know me, Philip says, okay, but 
show us the Father, and that's going to be enough for us. Like, you could almost see Jesus rolling his eyes. Like, you could think uh, uh, just how frustrated he must be. Did you hear anything I just said to you? But that's not what Jesus does. What does he do? He reassures Thomas by saying, you know the way, because you know me. And he reassures Philip by saying, you know the Father, because you know me. For as frail as these disciples are, they are prone to doubt, they are slow to understand. Jesus is continually willing to reassure them with himself. And you know, I don't know what the Lord has for you in this moment. And I don't know what he has for you tomorrow uh, or the next day, but I can tell you that your story is governed by hope. That when Jesus speaks peace to troubled hearts, he doesn't minimize, he doesn't dismiss, but he tells us that our troubled hearts are actually very important to him. And even when there are times where we don't understand, and those times feel like they're many, we can always trust that Jesus is at work and that he's coming for you. That's his healing medicine that's given to troubled hearts. We had a children's choir in here this morning, so let me close by talking about another children's choir. And yes, I heard about it from uh, Mrs. Fleming Rutledge. Every time I think about getting rid of my Twitter account, I come across something that she says, and I'm like, I might hang around here for a little while. But she pointed me toward a New York Times article about the, I don't know if I'll get this pronunciation right, it's about this, the Shedrick Children's Choir from Ukraine. Uh, they're currently on tour in America. Uh, they're raising money to help uh, support repairs needed for their country back home. A couple of weeks ago, they sang in Carnegie Hall. Um, they can really sing, too. You should look up YouTube videos. If you want to know how to spell it, I'll, like, email me. I can... But shortly before they left Kiev, they were practicing when an air raid siren went off. And they, these children rushed to a bomb shelter and huddled up with other people who were also there. And it was there, using their cell phones as flashlights, that they resumed singing. They kept singing. And the article says that they filled the cold, cramped space with folk songs and carols until the sirens faded. I don't know what they were singing about. I don't know that they sing about Jesus. But I just can't think of a better picture of what the defiant hope of Advent looks like. When their president heard the sirens, it was a reminder that someone somewhere was giving their life for his. And when these children heard the sirens, they filled their hearts with singing. And it occurs to me that we have a chance to do both. That we have a chance to fill our hearts with singing about someone who did die for us. Thanks be to God. Let me pray, and that's just what we'll do. Oh, you who died for us, the way, the truth, and the life. Would you build us in hope and help us as we strain toward you? Be with us in our troubled hearts. Be very close to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.